title of the message this morning is A Better Forgiveness. A Better Forgiveness. The big idea is that because Jesus is a better priest, offering a better sacrifice, he procures for us better, a better forgiveness. Let me repeat that. Because Jesus is a better priest, offering a better sacrifice, he procures for us a better forgiveness. Forgiveness is, a, is one of those topics that um, is interesting to preach on. We, we preach on, we're going to be talking about specifically God's forgiveness uh, this morning, but have you ever had a hard time forgiving somebody yourself? Uh, maybe somebody has said something to you that was mean or done something to you um, that, that you know is wrong, and uh, maybe you've even had to confront that person about what it is that they have done uh, to you, and, and maybe they're a little obstinate about that. They, they're not willing to, uh, to admit that they've, they've harmed you, or, or even sometimes they, they might even uh, be contrite. They might even be willing to admit that, you know, that they did wrong, but, but oftentimes for us it's hard to, to truly forgive, is it not? Especially if there's something tangible that uh, that we see that has that has caused harm, whether it be uh, something that has hurt us physically, something that has hurt us financially, something uh, that has you know caused us to lose uh, something materially. It's e- it's easy for us to to not really want to forgive people. Uh, we may even say the words "I forgive you," but really, in the end, a lot of times we'll um, we'll keep hanging on to it, won't we? We'll say that we forgive somebody, but, but you know, in later conversations, when they do something similar, or when, maybe they do something completely different, you, you bring it back up. And you say, well, you know, I'm going to judge you now based off of what you've done in the past. Even though I said I was going to forgive you, I'm going to judge you now based on that. And so I think a lot of times it's hard for us as imperfect people to understand how God can forgive us. Because it's hard for us as, as fallen sinners, even though we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's hard for us oftentimes as sinners to forgive people the way that we know God desires for us to give people, the way that we know to forgive people, the way that we know God forgives us. And so it's hard for us to imagine that God could truly forgive us the way the Bible claims that he does. And so we're going to look at that this morning here in Hebrews chapter 10. And in some ways, it's hard for us even to comprehend that because we look at everything that we've talked about from the Old Testament sacrificial system. And we look at the way that God forgave sins through that sacrificial system. And yet we see, and we have been seeing in the book of Hebrews, how that sacrificial system was not perfect. It did not completely forgive sins. Yes, there was, there was a process. If you remember, we went through talking about the tabernacle, that they would uh, transfer the sins of the people every year onto the, the goat, and they would send it out, and that's the, the scapegoat, right? They would send it out into the wilderness. But in reality, that didn't actually remove their sins. It was more of a symbolic gesture of God forgiving them. And we read here in, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, starting in verse 11, It says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. See, there's a problem 
with the Old Test with the Old Covenant. There's a problem with the forgiveness of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. All right, and that's the first thing I want us to see here in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11. We're going to look at six P's this morning. And you're going, you usually hit three points, and it takes you 40 to 50 minutes. We're going to try it. All right, here we go. Six P's this morning, uh, looking at this idea of forgiveness. So let's look at the problem of forgiveness. We see here in verse number 11 that under the old covenant, forgiveness was never really complete. Forgiveness was never really complete. It was never final. It was never full because it was given for the sins committed, not for the sins yet to be committed. If you remember, every year they would have to go to this Day of Atonement. And if you remember correctly, the the Day of Atonement was for the sins of the past year, the sins of all the people of the year that they had just finished. All right, and so they would go through this whole sacrificial process in this one day to, to remove, so to speak, the sins of the people from last year. That did nothing for the sins that were going to happen in the future. They were going to, again, the next year, have to have this Day of Atonement once again. But not even just the Day of Atonement. We see here that the, the problem is sin is is constantly being committed by the people. And because of that, there are even daily sacrifices that have to be made. It says here that the priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Notice it says that he's always standing every day. If you remember, we went through all the different uh, pieces of furniture in that that tabernacle, and there was no chairs in there. This was a constant need for the children of Israel. The the priests were not in there to rest and take a break. They were constantly, daily, offering sacrifices. Some sacrifices specifically in the morning, some specifically in the evening. But they were constantly offering these sacrifices on behalf of the people because the people keep sinning. There was no rest. There was no finality to their work. It was over and over and over And again, it was the same sacrifices, right? They they didn't have new sacrifices to take care of new sins. It was the same sins over and over and over again. The same sacrifices over and over and over again. And it was always the same result. It was always the same result, which can never take away sins. All that work, all that bloodshed, all that fire, all of that process. And yet the writer of Hebrews tells us in the end, it could not take away sins. It could bring them back in a right relationship with God, but the reality is they were still slaves to their sinful nature. The problem could not be taken care of simply by the blood of animals. The old covenant, annual rituals were a constant reminder of the reality of sin. If you go back up into verse 4, what Eric was preaching from last couple weeks ago, verse 4 says this, For it is impossible for, uh, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Uh, sorry, verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is what? A reminder of sins every year. There is a reminder of sins every year. Can you imagine being in Israel? 
camping around that tabernacle. And every day you hear the bleeding of the sheep and, and the, the, the lowing of the oxen. I'm trying to think of the, the uh, songs from Christmas. I can't think of all the, all the things that the animals do, right? But we, the, to hearing all these things and then, and then smelling. Can you imagine the smell that there would have been? Some of you who love to barbecue, um, not exactly the same smell. I mean, they were, they were burning everything, all right? This wasn't, this wasn't a cookout. They were burning everything. They were, they were slaughtering animals constantly every single day. And it's a constant reminder that they are sinful people serving a holy God. Every single day. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant is a reminder of the reality of sin over and over and over again. The Old Covenant Under the Old Covenant, the sins were symbolically transferred, but not spiritually removed. We already mentioned that. They were sent out once a year by by the scapegoat, but they were not completely removed. It's almost like as if you were to go and try to pay off your, your mortgage with Monopoly money. You could probably give them the right denomination if you hold together enough Monopoly games. You could give them the right denomination of of funds, but the value of the paper that you hand them is worthless to pay off your debt. And that's what it's like for the old covenant. Yes, there was it was meeting the requirement that God had given for them to shed the, the blood of animals. But in the end, the value of the blood of animals was not worthy of taking away the sins of the people. It required the blood of a man. We need a better forgiveness because the old covenant cannot fully remove sin. That's the problem. That's the problem. Let's look at the posture of forgiveness. The posture of forgiveness. We see this in verses 12 through 13. Says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. I want you to notice several things here. First of all, there's a single exact payment that is made for sin. There's a single exact payment that is made for sin. Again, we just talked about the fact that the blood of animals was not valuable enough, is not worthy enough to actually pay for man's sin. But instead, we see here at the beginning of verse 12, there's a but, right? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, there is a single one-time exact payment that is made for sin. This was, this was for all time. Again, what was the problem with the old covenant? The problem with the old covenant is it was every year. It was every day. Every sin needed to be, needed to be paid for. Every year they had to go through this ritual, a constant reminder of their sin. But what's the difference with Christ? With Christ, it's for all time. It's for all time. It's completely done. There is a a singular, a single payment versus over and over and over and over again. This posture of forgiveness is a single exact payment that is made for sin. There's nothing more to do. 
There's nothing more to do. Look at the posture that, that Christ even has in this verse. It says that he, after he had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, it says he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. This is, again, in comparison to the, the, the priest's in the Levitical law, it says that they were standing daily over and over. The writer here is making a comparison. There's no rest in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, there is rest. There is rest because it is done. It is finished. Earlier this week, actually, just a couple days ago, we, we had another wonderful uh, tree branch fall in our in our yard. Some of you came over last year and helped us remove a, a jungle that had fallen out of our trees. We had a, a couple more recently, and um, this one was was sitting there. My wife had had asked me to go out and cut it up, and it was hot. And uh, I'm not necessarily the most in shape person, and and uh, thankfully I had a chainsaw, so that was that was helpful. But uh, but there was a lot of work, and and I'm and I'm constantly doing it. And and I would take a break once in a while, um, and I and I even sat down briefly. But but there was a difference between when I sat down while I was doing the work, and when I sat down when I had finished the work. Right when I when I was sitting down while the work was still needing to be done, all I was thinking about was, oh man, I gotta get back up and cut up some more of this wood. But when I was done, I was done. <laughs> there was relaxation, lots of water. It was, it was finished. The job was done. I could relax. See, there's a difference in the posture of the Old Testament, the old covenant priests, and the posture of Jesus Christ. He is sitting it is done. It is finished. The posture of forgiveness. Not only is he, is he done, but he is ruling until all enemies are subdued. We're going to actually look at this next week while some of you are, are out of town uh, on, the, uh, on the, the trip with the teens. We'll, we'll take some time and take a, come back to these two verses here and take a look at this reality that Christ reigns. But, but in relationship to forgiveness... Jesus is reigning until all of his enemies are put under his feet. Do you know what the last enemy is? The last enemy is sin, is death. Is death. And Jesus is ruling and reigning until death is completely defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is that death has already been defeated. He will, it will finally be defeated in the end, but even now we can stand in victory because Jesus is seated in authority over death. Are you thankful for that this morning? We have a better forgiveness because Christ has completed what was necessary to remove sin and its consequence. Do you ever think about that? 
Christ has completed what was necessary not just to remove our sins, but to defeat the consequence of sin. He didn't just free us from from the power of sin. He's freed us from the penalty of sin. Because of him, we have life eternal and not death. He is victorious over both. Number three, let's look at the perfection of forgiveness in verse number 14. He says, for by a single offering, again, that single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Again, we see this single offering, and this single offering has another effect, and that is perfection. That is the Greek word teleo. It means to complete or to perfect or to accomplish fully. All right, this is the, the root word that we get uh, telestai from. Many of you are familiar with the word telestai from the Easter story. Does anybody remember what that, what that means? It is finished. It is finished. What Jesus cried from the cross, he also accomplishes with the offering. He is giving a single offering, and that single offering has completed, it has perfected, it has fully accomplished what was necessary. See, there's an idea here of something that is lacking in us. There's many things lacking in us. There's righteousness that is lacking in us. There's the ability to to fight our sinful nature that is lacking within us. And yet Christ has accomplished, he has done everything that is necessary to take on the wrath of God, to pay the debt that we could never pay. It is fully and completely done. Not only is it, is it a perfected offering, but it's for all time. It's for all time. The Greek word here means without interruption or unbroken or continually. That's the idea that's being made here for all time. Same as, as in verse 12, I think it was, where it says for all time. The idea is that it's, it's continually happening. There's no stopping to the perfection, to the completion of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It doesn't end. There's no point in time, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you can ever sin in such a way that his forgiveness stops. It's continuing. It's unstopping. It's without interruption. It's for all time. That includes the sins in our past. That includes the sins that you committed this morning. That includes the sins that you're going to commit this afternoon and this week and this year and for the rest of your life. For all time, continually. Forgiveness is complete. Who's it complete for? It says it's complete for those who are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified. If you're here this morning and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've turned from following your own way and turned to following Jesus Christ, the payment for your sin perpetually, forever, past, present, and future is finished. You are being sanctified. You are being changed. You are being set apart 
You are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what this idea of sanctification is talking about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. says this, But we always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So it's those who have been chosen by the Spirit and believe in the truth that are being sanctified. And such were some of you, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You noticing a pattern here that the Holy Spirit's involved in this? Hebrews 10, 10, and by that will, speaking of God's will, if you remember up uh, earlier, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, your sin is forgiven. Let's look at the proof of forgiveness. We have a better forgiveness because Christ's offering makes us complete, but let's look at the proof. Verses, 10, uh, verses 15 through 16. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. The proof of forgiveness is namely the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness to many things in our lives. It bears witness to the reality that we have been born again. He bears witness to the fact that we are believers. In fact, he bears witness to the reality of our adoption. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit confirms with us that we are the children of God. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us that we are in Christ, that we are believers, that we are, as Ephesians 1 earlier says, adopted as his children. And then he is also our guarantee. If we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, it guarantees for us. That's strong language. It's a guarantee of the inheritance until we acquire, we, we acquire possession. Those are very specific words. He is our guarantee until we have possession. Why? Because forgiveness is unending, perpetual, perfect. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us of adoption. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us of forgiveness. This is an interesting passage in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Bear with me as we read through this. And when they had brought them, this was when they were brought before the council uh, of the Jewish leadership to uh, be berated for preaching the gospel. When they were brought, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. 
saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Interesting what they were most concerned about, isn't it? (laughs) Um, You're calling us out, basically. Uh, But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus Christ, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. All right, catch that. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is who? The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit doesn't just witness to us that we are in Christ. It witnesses to us specifically that our sins are forgiven. Are you grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit this morning? Thirdly, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us of our changed hearts. Under the old covenant, and the, it, was, it was an external covenant, Right, the, the laws were written on tablets and written on scrolls. It was, it was a covenant, if you remember earlier in, in chapter 9, talked about the fact that the covenant only really dealt with the physical things, the earthly things. It couldn't deal with the spiritual things. But the new covenant through Jesus Christ is an internal covenant, dealing with the heart and the mind and the will, not just the externals, but the internals, the desires of our hearts. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 27 is is written to Israel, but thinking towards the messianic time. He says this, and I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I would cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and from, and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We've talked about this before, but the, the only good in us is not from us. It is for the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's why in Galatians, it's not the fruit of good Christians, right? It's not the fruit of of people who really love God. It's the fruit of the Spirit working within our lives. He bears witness to us that we are in Christ, that we are forgiven by giving us hearts of flesh and taking away hearts of stone, of directing us to walk in a way that is glorifying and honoring to Jesus Christ. We have a better forgiveness because the Spirit confirms it in us. The Spirit confirms it in us. Number five. See, we got through it pretty quick. Number five, the promise of forgiveness. The promise of forgiveness. Verse 17. Then he adds. Remember, after all these these proofs that he's given that he's, he's given us the Holy Spirit and he's, he's put the laws on our hearts and written them on our minds. That's that whole idea of the Spirit indwelling us. 
After he does all of that, then he says this. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. If you're here this morning and you think that in some way you deserve God's forgiveness, you don't understand your sin. You don't understand the holiness of God. If you are not rejoicing, if you are not overwhelmed by the reality that a holy God would forgive you, that a holy God would say, I will remember your sin no more. If you are not overwhelmed by that reality, you don't understand just how holy God is and just how wicked you are. Even as a believer, and in fact, especially as a believer, the more we, we know God, the more we love God, the more we see God, the more we see ourselves, the more precious this promise will be. Under the old covenant, we have the constant sacrifices, constant reminders of sin. And it was designed by God. God gave them the sacrifices and the rituals and everything that they were supposed to do so that they would be reminded day after day, year after year of the reality of their sinfulness before a holy God. But in the new covenant, because there is a single perfect sacrifice, there's no more reminder. There's no more reminder for us because there's no more remembrance for him. We have a hard time understanding this fact, do we not? It's so easy for us, as I said in the beginning, to, to remember the things that people have done against us. It's easy for us to remember the things that we have done against God. It's easy for us to, to get caught up in the, in the things that we, have, that we have failed, the things that we, have, that we have even pursued, knowing full well that it was sin. Things maybe that we've, that we've hidden that nobody else even knows about. Nobody else really fully understands where we're at spiritually, potentially. And we're hiding those things and we're, and we're consumed by guilt over those things. And in many ways, we often may think that God could never forgive me. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe there's some things in your past that, that if we knew about them, you might think that we would run. But God already knows. And yet he offers true, complete forgiveness. I will remember your sin no more. Have you confessed your sin? Have you confessed your sin to God? Have you come to him truly believing that he is ready and willing to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? as 1 John 1.9 tells us. Do you really believe that? Tim Keller said this, when we see 
All the references to God's wrath in the Bible, we instinctively imagine God's anger must be like ours. And so we recoil. However, his anger is not, is not wounded pride as ours is. God is not just a God of love or just a God of wrath. He is both. And if our concept of God can't include both, it will distort our view of reality in general and of forgiveness in particular. Yes, God is a holy and righteous God. And because of that, he demands a sacrifice for sin. But he also provided that sacrifice because of his great love with which he loved us. Not only can he promise forgiveness, but he does promise forgiveness. Psalm 103, verse 12. Dave mentioned this when he, when he preached a few weeks ago. He says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Think of that imagery. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He'll stomp all over it. Isn't that a great picture? You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. D.L. Moody said, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that we have a God that not only desires, that not only can forgive, but desires to forgive and not just forgive you right now, but forgive forever and ever and ever and ever, never to bring it back up again? because he remembers our sins no more. We have a better forgiveness because God promises to no longer remember sin. Finally, we look at the permanence of forgiveness. The permanence of forgiveness we see here in verse 18. After all these things that he said, he wraps it up with this, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offerings for sin. Forgiveness is permanent because no other sacrifice is possible. Ever thought about that? Forgiveness is permanent because no other sacrifice is possible. There's nothing else that can be offered for our sin. No animal's blood can do any good. No, no other human's blood can do any good. No work or sacrifice we could make could do any good. Only the sacrifice of the innocent lamb of God could accomplish what was necessary for the forgiveness of sin. There's no other way. There is no other hope. And Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 5. 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Forgiveness is permanent because there's no other sacrifice that is possible. Forgiveness is permanent because Christ's sacrifice replaces sin with righteousness. Andy just read this verse right before we came up here. 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, He, meaning God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That great exchange, Christ's righteousness for our sinfulness. Romans 8, verses 3 through 4 says this, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Forgiveness is permanent because Christ's sacrifice replaces Sin with righteousness. Forgiveness is permanent because condemnation is removed. One of my favorite verses, you can probably all quote it right now. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness is permanent because there's no longer a condemnation. Are you thankful for that this morning? We have better forgiveness. R.C. Sproul said it this way, when God promises to forgive his people when they repent, he is not playing games. If he says he will forgive you, then he will forgive you. And if God's for, God forgives you, you are forgiven. We have a better forgiveness because there will never be another price that we could ever pay. I want to take just a couple of moments here. There's a song many of you probably are familiar with that I think portrays the battle that we often have, especially as believers when we sin, when we struggle in this Christian life. So I want you to just listen to these words as I read them aloud. It's East to West by Casting Crowns. It says this, Here I am, Lord, and I'm drowning in your sea of forgetfulness. The chains of yesterday surround me, and I yearn for peace and rest. I don't want to end up where you found me, and it echoes in my mind and keeps me awake tonight. I know you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west, and I stand before you now as though I've never sinned. But today... I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. I start the day the war begins, endless reminding of my sin. Time and time again, your truth is drowned out by the storm I'm in. Today, I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Have you ever felt like that? I know you've washed me white, Turn my darkness into light. I need your peace to get me through this night. I can't live by what I feel, but by the truth your word reveals. I'm not holding on to you, but you're 
holding on to me. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Because I can't bear to see the man I've been come rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy, I find rest. Because you know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. We are here this morning because Jesus Christ gave his life. The perfect son of God. Willingly and sacrificially laid his life down for us. For his enemies. So that we could be the sons of God so that we can be forgiven. Not just so that our sins could be sent out on a scapegoat, but so that our sins could be removed from us. So that God would remember our sins no more. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you don't know forgiveness. I would beg of you this morning, come to Christ. There is no hope for this life and the life to come without him. There is no forgiveness. There is no life. There is no joy without Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been saved 20, 30, 40 years. Maybe you're still struggling with this feeling like you you can't, Stop sinning. And, and that's true. We're still in the flesh. But you're, you're beaten down by it and you're, and you're living in guilt and you go days and days in guilt and misery and beating yourself up and, and you just haven't come to the point where you realize, where you accept that God has forgiven you permanently forever. Come to the Lord this morning. Confess your unbelief and the promise of God. John Bunyan said, no child of God sins to that degree as to make himself incapable of forgiveness. God is there ready and willing to forgive. Kevin DeYoung said this, if you say, I can't forgive myself, it's probably a sign of worldly grief. Either unbelief in God's promises and the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross or regret that is merely focused on your loss of esteem and your loss of opportunities. See, if we have true biblical repentance, then we'll believe in true biblical forgiveness. Have you truly repented of your sin this morning? Are you hanging on to it? Are you hanging on to it to keep it? Are you hanging on to it for the guilt Let it go. Confess to Christ. The big idea this morning is that because Jesus is a better priest, offering a better sacrifice, he procures for us a better forgiveness. Father, we thank you that we are no longer under the old covenant, that we no longer have to daily come to you with the blood of animals, 
as payment for our sins, Lord, but even though we do sin now, we can come to you, to our Father as believers, we can come to you boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and to receive help in our time of need. So often, Lord, we, we forget that reality. We allow Satan to, to speak into our hearts and our minds and tell us that whatever it is that we have done that you cannot forgive, but Father, you have already forgiven. And it's hard for us to understand how that can be, but we thank you for it. And we praise you for it. And we exalt you for it. We lift high the name of Jesus Christ because it is by his blood that we are forgiven. And we thank you for that forgiveness, for that perfect and complete and eternal forgiveness. Lord, we love you. Help us to obey you. Help us to honor you. And I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us of our unbelief. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>